0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, Ask and it will be given. Search and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Gracious God, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Amen. The Lord's Prayer is probably the best known, most memorized prayer in our Christian tradition. If you've noticed as we go through the Sundays, if you've ever noticed this, it is the only part of our service that never changes. It is always there. The readings may change, the prayers of the people may change. The Eucharistic prayers may change. The dismissal may change. The post-communion blessing may change. All that may change. But the Lord's Prayer is always in our Sunday service. In fact, I don't think there's any service in the church. Any of the services, morning prayer, evening prayer, Compline, noonday prayer, it always includes the Lord's Prayer. I read somewhere that on any particular Sunday, two billion people, are saying the Lord's Prayer. If someone has had any Christian training at all, at all, the one thing they've probably done is memorized the Lord's Prayer. Many of us, many of us here right now, I suspect, could say the Lord's Prayer in our sleep, which is something of a problem, because I suspect many of us are sleeping when we say it which is also a bit of a problem because as Matthew and Luke in their Gospels present the Lord's Prayer it is presented as Jesus' core teaching on prayer when the disciples ask Him specifically to teach them to pray this is what He says slightly different versions in Matthew and Luke but this is what He says so it's kind of a problem I think if we've gotten so familiar with it that we don't even hear it anymore. It just kind of comes out of our mouths and we can be thinking any other number of things when we're saying it. Things I have to buy. Things I have to buy at the store. You know, what's for dinner. Any number of things we can be thinking when we're saying the Lord's Prayer. So I think maybe we need to be woken up a bit. We need to kind of wake up and hear this prayer, this critical prayer that Jesus taught us with fresh ears. But first, though, I want to give uh, a little bit of uh, language history, linguistic history. Most of us probably know, if we stop for a second to think about it, that Jesus didn't speak English. We probably realize that. But we might not know that Jesus spoke a language called Aramaic. That was the language of his everyday speech and the speech of the people that Jesus spoke was around every day, was Aramaic. Jesus likely also knew Hebrew. Uh, That was the language of the Bible that he knew, and he could read that and probably talk about it in Hebrew. Uh, He certainly had discourse with the religious authorities of the day, and Hebrew was the kind of official religious language of the temple and synagogue, much the way that Latin became the official uh, scholarly language and uh, church language of the Roman Catholic Church. So Jesus knew Aramaic as his everyday vernacular language, as well as Hebrew to a good degree. And also he probably knew some Greek. Greek was the uh, language of commerce in the Roman Empire. And uh, Jesus, by tradition, was a carpenter, so he probably needed some Greek to get his business done, pay his bills and so forth, so, uh, and to get instructions on what he was supposed to do with the wood. So Jesus knew Aramaic well. That was his heart language. And Hebrew, which was his praying language, as well as his uh, studying language. Certainly he prayed in Aramaic as well. And also um, some Greek. Now it's generally accepted, uh, but not universally so, but generally accepted, that the most widely circulated parts of the New Testament were from the beginning written in Greek. But there was a version of the New Testament which from early on in the life of the church was written in Aramaic which is to say the language that Jesus spoke every day and that he spoke with his disciples it came out of the church in a part of Syria that was uh, beyond the influence of Rome and it is still used in parts of the church around the world that have their origins in that particular part of Syria it is known as the Peshitta meaning uh, from the Aramaic word for straight or common, the implication being that it was the true, common, straightforward uh, gospel and uh, words of Jesus. And this source, the Peshitta, the Aramaic gospel, is our source for the Lord's Prayer in Jesus' own tongue. Now, translating from the Aramaic into English, It's going to yield a different kind of an English translation than translating from Greek into English. And I think it can help us uh, hear afresh uh, the kinds of thoughts that Jesus wants us to know and think about uh, when we think about prayer. So what I'd like us to do for a little uh, school exercise here is to take out the the insert that hopefully you got, 8 eight-and-a-half by 11 sheet of paper, And I'd like us to say the Lord's Prayer in English. I won't have us try to do the transliteration from the Aramaic. But say the English that's on the far right-hand column, just to have a sense of what that feels like. And this is a, a, a possible translation from Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. O birther, father, mother of the cosmos, focus your light within us, Make it useful. Create your reign of unity now. Your one desire then acts with ours. As in all life, so in all forms. Grant what we need each day in bread and insight. Loose the cords of mistakes binding us as we release the strands we hold of others' guilt. Don't let surface things delude us. It gives us kind of a different feel, doesn't it? And this is only one possible way of translating the Aramaic. Apparently, Aramaic is a more flexible language than Greek and uh, offers itself uh, to more poetic translations. Well, hold on to that, and I hope you take it home and perhaps use it in your own prayer time uh, as uh, an alternative to the Lord's Prayer you may be saying already. Having offered you this, I want to focus on two particular ideas that come out of this prayer. Um, two of the things that I think Jesus may have been driving at as he gave this teaching to his disciples. First, prayer is about connecting with God. It's about connection with God. It's about intimacy with God. Seeking intimacy with God. Seeking a relationship with with God. Learning to address God as father or mother means learning to think about our relationship with God as a relationship. In using this term, that can be translated, at least in the Aramaic, this way as mother or father, Jesus is encouraging us to think of God in terms of a being that we can have an intimate relationship with rather than some distant mechanical God who sits high in the heavens watching what goes down below without any particular interest in what's going on. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus chose this particular relationship. Out of all the human relationships uh, he could have chosen, he chooses one with parents, If you think about it, just for half a second, the connection between parents and children is particularly deep and complicated. It's full of passion and sometimes rage, tenderness and long-suffering, disappointment as well as hope, angst as well as love. And for many, praying to God as father or mother means clearing out images of hurt and abuse and imagining God afresh as nurturing and gentle and safe. But for a first century Jew, as well as perhaps for us, thinking of this kind of intimacy and connectedness and relationship with the creator of the universe is kind of mind-blowing. It's more than just novel. It's kind of earth-shattering. And I think Jesus, in his choice of word about how to address God, really taps into this deep, intense well of connectedness in his teaching on prayer. And if we further think about it, uh, connectedness or intimacy between human beings, um, it's not always the kind of warm and fuzzy, comforting thing that we may tend to think of intimacy being at first thought you know I want to be intimate with someone while I want to it's kind of warm and fuzzy and gooey somehow it's, it has all overwhelmingly I think for me a positive connotation but if we think about what intimacy really includes it also includes things like anger and frustration disappointment all the things that go on between people who are really really connected I'm reminded of a book that was written some years ago called, May I be angry with God? Of course, the answer is yes. You may. In the parable which follows the giving of the Lord's Prayer here in Luke, I think the example that Jesus uses kind of illustrates the complexity of the relationship, of an intimate relationship. Jesus, you recall, uh, tells the story about a man who goes next door to his neighbor to get some bread in the middle of the night because the first man has uh, had a guest unexpectedly. He has nothing to give him. So he goes next door to his neighbor, knocks on the door and says, you've got to give me something so I can feed my guest." And the man inside says, I'm not going to get up for you. My children and I are in bed. I'm not getting up. You know, tough. The guy persists. And finally, the man in the house relents and gives him the bread now imagine you know, if, if we're supposed to think of the first man as the one who is praying and the second man inside the house as God who is hearing the prayer well, what does that say perhaps about Jesus' relationship with God he maybe asks for things and they don't seem to happen right away maybe Jesus experiencing God as, as a reluctant giver perhaps ultimately dependable ultimately dependable but sometimes it must have felt to Jesus like God was holding back. So here's an example of Jesus as I would suggest perhaps of his own experience in prayer with with God. Um, It doesn't always feel like I get what I want right away but if I keep at it I know that God will provide. So in the Lord's Prayer Jesus is giving us an example of prayer as Connectedness, as intimacy, as a relationship with God. And he uses father and mother as a way to get at that, that intimacy. Second, prayer, like all relationships, requires persistence. Our lessons make that clear this morning. The lesson from Genesis shows Abraham going toe-to-toe with God again and again to try to get God to save Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the Gospel of Luke, uh, more than in any of the other Gospels, Jesus is shown praying often, often. Alone, he prays alone, he prays all night, he prays with other people, he prays before big decisions, he prays in crisis, he prays in worship at the temple. As a child, he's, he prays in the synagogue, um, the local synagogue. He's praying all the time. And he explicitly mentions persistence as a virtue in prayer. In this lesson this morning, as well as elsewhere, you may recall uh, the story of the persistent widow who goes again and again to a judge wanting justice. And the judge finally says, I don't care about justice, but this widow is so persistent, I'm going to give her what she wants to get her out of my hair. He uses these very earthy examples to describe persistence. So Jesus teaches that persistence is part of prayer that is connected and intimate. And if we think, again, about our human relationships, we're more likely to bug the people we're close to, right? Think about your children, or think about a good friend, or a spouse, or a partner. We don't nag a stranger about, to use a a, a trite example, about washing the dishes, or uh, doing the laundry, or uh, do this, or do that, or can you help me with this. We don't bug a stranger. We bug someone we're close to, that we're intimate with. So take advantage of that connectedness with God. Bug God about something. Choose something and bug God about it and build on that intimacy. Making prayer a habit is another way of being persistent. It's important to pray again and again about something that's important to you, to us, as individuals and as communities. But it's also important to come up with a time and a place and a way of praying that is consistent and regular and doable and then doing it, whether we feel like it or not. Building that kind of a rule of prayer into our individual lives is persistence, and Jesus calls us to that. Now, there is, of course the painful problem of even persistent prayers that seem to go unanswered. Although we have this wonderful uh, assurance that Jesus gives in the gospel ask and it will be given search and you will find knock and the door will be open for you. If we're honest we have to admit that there are times in our lives when we don't get what we ask for from God. Or the answer that we get may be no or it might be not yet or it might be I'm not sure and I'm reminded of a piece of advice that uh, was given by the German poet Rainier Rilke uh, to a young friend who was asking him for advice about things Um, from a collection of letters called uh, Letters to a Young Poet. And I think this, this has helped me in thinking about unanswered prayer or prayers that seem unanswered. And he says this. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. When I read those words and ponder them, I think that perhaps this is another way to think about prayer that may seem that it's not being answered or the answers aren't what we want them to be that if we keep walking, keep persisting, keep working at this relationship with God, that someday, someday, we will live into the answer that will have some satisfaction to us, even though it may not be the answer that we prayed for, that we hoped for. My prayer for all of us this morning is that we can hear the Lord's Prayer afresh, anew, in our, in our liturgies, but also in our own prayer lives. And that we can gain the energy and uh, inspiration that we need to remain persistent in our connectedness, in our intimacy, in our relationship with God. Amen. Amen.